Hey everyone, my name is Nacham Rasla. Rest to most of you. This is my friend Julie, Julie Starnes from Good Decisions Dog Training in Ashland, Nebraska. Um, for those of you who don't know what the show is, before we get into it, it's not a Q&A show. So if you have dog training questions, you're more than welcome to ask me or I'm sure Julie at dog, like personal dog training questions at a different time. This is more of a show just to get to know each other, chat about dog training, chat about life, chat about whatever. You guys are more than welcome to join the conversation, though, in the comments section, wherever you're watching. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, hop in, say hi, join the conversation. But dog training questions are kind of skipped over. Um, so... That being said, let's jump right into it. Julie, you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you are, all that stuff? Okay. Hey, I'm Julie Starnes, Good Decisions Dog Training here in Ashland, Nebraska, right in between Lincoln and Omaha. And um, I train dogs anywhere from puppies just starting out, uh, basic obedience training, behavior modification, dog reactivity, dog aggression, um, and all everything that falls in between that. And how did you get into all this? How did you get into training? Oh, uh, wow. Um, I guess I've always kind of been training. Um, I grew up on a farm, so lots of animals there. My dad was a huge animal lover, and uh, we always had dogs, cats. And I guess technically I really got started with it um, when I started running the Ashland Dog Pound. And what that is, it's a facility where the police would pick up dogs running at large and bring them to the facility. Prior to there being a building, they used to take the dogs to the rodeo grounds and chain them up in the elements. And then the police officers would take care of them if they had time. So there was a need for a, a facility, a building, but it wasn't a rescue. And uh, so one of my good friends ran the pound she was moving out of state and talked me into taking it over. And little did I know what was involved. Um, so I ran it for eight years. It was seven days a week, 365. And I also worked full-time jobs, you know, in between. But I literally would walk in um, and I didn't know if I would have no dogs in or five dogs in, where they came from, what their temperaments were. I did not know but they all had to be leashed up and taken outside to potty because we didn't have any fencing for them. Right. So yeah, I just got started. And then I worked at a boarding facility. Um, that was a good insight, you know, into dogs. I've always had dogs, but I, I think year, years ago when I had, I had a couple of dogs that were, um, they each had different issues. I had a great Dane with terrible separation anxiety that I adopted from the pound. Um, I went outside one day and he broke a window to get outside to get to me. And my beagle um, would pee and poop all over his kennel and paint his kennel with his poop. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I had two different things going on and I, you know, getting rid of my dogs was not an option. And so I did reach out to a trainer at a time. And this is like 15, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, and basically I was told that no one could help me. And so I had to figure it out, but that's when I started to think maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not doing what they need. And I wasn't. 
I was all about the love and I was all about giving them everything, total freedom. And once I started to kind of tighten up and change myself, change the way I interacted with them, everything started to get better. Yeah. And I think that's like, we all know that's the key part as trainers. We all know that. But when you say like you weren't officially like a trainer yet, right? You weren't a training professionally. So when you say like you realized it was you and you started to tighten up, what did that look like? What was that? It looked like tremendous amounts of structure. Um, you know, when Dewey was pooping all over in his kennel, I stopped penneling him. And then I would lock him in the bathroom while I went to work and he destroyed my bathroom. And so I revisited the kennel and I stopped letting my great Dane Duke sleep in my bed because he was destroying, he destroyed five mattresses and a whole year he and I slept on the floor because I couldn't afford any more mattresses. Wow. And so I had to, you know, and then I just started leash work and yes, basic obedience stuff, but I also started saying no, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And uh, it changed, it changed everything. And both dogs went on to live very long and healthy lives. And then at what point did you say like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do this professionally, stop whatever you were doing previously for work and go all in with this. So I always knew that I wanted to work with animals. I had horses. Um, and so it, it was, oh, I was always drawn back to animals, but my mom and I love her to pieces. It wasn't a real job to her. Yeah. It wasn't a real job to anybody. And I, in my mind, I didn't know if I could ever make a living at it and and pay bills. So I didn't know how to go about it. So I just kept pushing it off to the side. And I got into accounting and I got into real estate and I did all the And I was miserable, but I kept going back to dogs. And then um, one day I, I failed miserably. And I, I hate to use the word failed. I moved to Las Vegas. My brother and sister-in-law were real real estate agents there. And I quit my job of 12 years here, moved to Las Vegas. Jeff left behind and got my real estate license. That was so stressful. And the market crashed. And the whole country was affected, but Las Vegas was smashed. And here I am trying to sell real estate. Right. So I was there for four months. And I almost lost my house here in Ashland, couldn't pay my bills, was behind on everything. I drove back to Ashland and I said to my husband, I want to work with dogs in some capacity. And he said, you either need to open up a boarding facility or you need to start training. And that's when I really got serious about it. But first I had to catch up on the bills. (laughs) Yeah. And when you, when you jumped into it full time, were you like looking to work because i know you work with a lot of behavioral cases more than just like obedience stuff was that something that you were interested in or you just like i want to work with dogs whatever it is in any capacity i i've been in rescue for a very long time and you know dealt with a lot of rescue dogs that had some serious issues and so when i first started i went at it from i want to work with all the rescues and i want to get these dogs not just adopted, but stay in the homes instead of repeat returns. 
And so that's how I really went about it. And so, so hard case dogs, difficult dogs, I was no stranger to that. So I was just willing to work with whatever dogs, you know, came my way. Yeah. And I adopted a very difficult dog. She killed another dog prior to going into rescue and the the rescue bless their hearts i still work with them today she came in knowing like 25 or 30 different commands and that was wonderful but she was so other dog aggressive she was never going to get adopted no matter what commands she knew and so i really started working hard with her and then i ended up eventually adopting her because we just bonded so much and she's great and how is she with dogs now she's great um, she does have some limitations. Right. Um, she does. She hangs out and plays with my Nala, my Great Dane. Um, I don't have her out in larger group socials because it makes her uncomfortable. And she doesn't need it. Yeah. Because she gets I, everything else she needs. I think that's that right there is a very key part to it. And I'm like, you definitely see this a lot because you work with a lot of tough behavioral cases you're not i from what i see your work it's generally not easy go lucky puppies right no. and like a lot of people have these goals for their dogs let's say a dog like what's what's the dog's name who, who killed another dog callie callie like a dog like callie for example right and people reach out with all different high behavioral issues stuff and they're like oh i want my dog to just be friends with other dogs and all these types of things and it's like yeah, that's great that you want that, but you said, and you're a trainer, you're a professional, you work with these things, but your dog has limitations and you've learned what those are and respected. And that's the reason why the dog is thriving. I find like a lot of people struggle with that idea because they have this vision of what they want their dog to be without taking into consideration who the dog actually is. Right. And that's, I think that's, the, that's, a very hard part for a lot of owners to comprehend, but that's probably the reason why your dog is alive. Yes, very much. Um, she was in rescue in boarding for four years. Wow. And she happened to live at the boarding facility where I worked. She bit me three times trying to get at another dog. And I finally went to the rescue and I said, I need to be able to use the training tools on this dog and really get down to the nitty gritty training wise with her or she won't live. And initially after they learned that she had bitten me, they were like, Oh my God, she's terrible. We probably better maybe put her down. I don't know. And I'm like, no, she's just terribly other dog aggressive. I can help her. And so, you know, I did, but you're right. And that's where we come in as trainers we have to help owners understand reality versus a wish list. Yes. You know, we wish we want, as opposed to what actually the dogs are capable of. Yeah. And, you know, setting goals, owners setting goals for themselves and their dogs realistically. Yeah. And that's, it's finding that ceiling. I mean, I have, I have my dog, like he never killed another dog, but he was a bad dog. And, and I know his limitations. There are certain dogs that come in here and I don't for the entire stay while they're with me, he has absolutely nothing to do with them besides at the most like being in place in the same room, but not going for walks with him, not interacting, not socials or anything like that. And to me, like I'm okay with it because 
I respect him, right? I want respect from him. I have to respect him. Exactly. And I know what's going to make him just too uncomfortable where then it's unfair to expect anything of him. Exactly. That's, that's a thing that a lot of owners struggle, that I find a lot of owners struggle with accepting is your dog has limitations, right? Yes. And even if you want something for your dog that's greater than that, you can work towards it mm-hmm. and never give up on working towards it. But also, like you said, be realistic with it. Right. And I'm all about working towards goals, but also understanding that they may never come to fruition. It may never be a reality for your dog, but your dog can absolutely live a very full, happy, healthy life without doggy friends, right. or cat friends or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. So, but Callie, she's super helpful. She can be on place. With another dog, she we bring her out to walk with other dogs. We do existence walks. Um, we do all things like that. But would I ever just put her out in the yard with a strange dog? No, no, I don't right. do that anyway. But yeah, okay, that's what I was gonna say. I don't think you're probably dumping a bunch of dogs together, anyways. No. <laughs> that's usually not a good idea. No. Um, do you still work with rescues? I do. Uh, at first, when I started. I, I, I've never considered myself to be a naive person, but I had goals and wants where I pictured me and rescues and other trainers all joining hands and singing Kumbaya and working for the better of dogs everywhere and making such a difference, you know, and then reality slapped me upside the head. And so there are some rescues that I do not work with anymore but I do have a few that I do work with and uh, connect with, and we have a great we have a great uh, relationship. So, but I had to reduce it a little for my yeah. own sanity. Um, I've never ever like belonged to a rescue. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on in rescues that isn't my jam. But uh, Jeff and I have done a lot of rescuing on our own, but. Um, yeah. And when, you, when the rescues that you do work with, I mean, first of all, perhaps to them that they let somebody as evil as you work with them. Um, <laughs> but, but like, I'm assuming they allow you to use training tools and things like that, right? Absolutely. And, you know, there were a few in the beginning that, that took a little bit of convincing. Not that I had, I pressured them into it, but I showed them the results that they could get. And that dogs were not only more adoptable, but staying in homes. Um, but then you have to get past um, this. And I don't know if you've heard this very often, that balance training is only for bad dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to have a lot of conversations about that. I believe that balance training is for all dogs because it isn't even about the tools. Right. It's, it's about a balance, you know, and, uh, so, yeah, you know, I think a lot of minds were changed through seeing what, what dogs what dogs could learn and be capable of with good training. So you mentioned something kind of in passing that balance training is not just about the tools. It's about something else. And then you kind of let it go. Speak to that more, because I think that the the world has this understanding of balance training as being the e-collar, prong-collar trainers, right? right? And there's more to it. So what do you mean by that? 
Okay, going back to like 15 years ago with my Great Dane and my Beagle, I didn't use prong collars or e-collars. Um, but I was still implementing balanced training by setting boundaries, uh, structure, routine, telling them no. And, um, you know, they got a lot of verbal praise and positive stuff. But I had to have the other side, too. I had to start saying no. And that's, I think, what people don't understand so much is when they hear balanced training, their mind goes immediately to prong callers and e-callers. Right. I, I don't care if anybody uses tools or, or they don't or what tools they use. But balanced training goes beyond tools. It's so much more. And corrections. And holding dogs accountable for what they know and implementing all of that yeah. is what balance training should be about. Yeah, absolutely. When I started working with Marley, who's my first dog, I got a prong collar with him before I knew what balance training was. Mm -hmm. So I was using a prong collar, not a hundred percent correctly, but as best as I can figure out how to do on my own, I didn't know any videos existed or anything like that at that point. Right. Um, I just was like, this is not working. Let me try the next st step up. Right. right. Um, but what really changed it, like following up on what you're saying, what really changed it wasn't the prong collar. I mean, the prong collar definitely helped and I'm all for them and I use them, but it wasn't what actually made the change. What really made the change was when I finally learned that there's a way of living with my dog that's going to change. Right. Yeah. And like the way of living in terms of everything is training and it's right. not just about basic commands and the way that we interact with each other and the way we exist with each other and the way I use affection and what does structure even mean? Right. Because so much of this stuff is thrown around because right. if, if I say, yeah, implement structure. And I tell like another trainer that it's like, you know what that means. But to so many people like as me, as that owner, I hadn't, if you would have told me implement structure in your dog's life, I would have like looked at you like you're crazy. Like what is that supposed to mean? Right. Right, right. But when I finally discovered what that means, right, is like you said, setting boundaries and having some sort of routine. It doesn't mean your day is exactly the same every day, but a routine and focusing on everything as a training opportunity and the time to either gain respect from your dog or lose respect from your dog yeah. was really when we made that big shift. It wasn't, I mean, the tools definitely helped, but the, I think what the tools do is once you understand all of that, right. what structure is, how to live with your dog in a training lifestyle, um, routine, accountability. Once you understand what all of that looks like, the tools help to kind of translate it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But we can actually do any of that without understanding why and what life itself should look like without the tools even. Mm -hmm. you're, the tools are not really going to do the work. No, no, no. And I had to, and you're right, not everybody understands what structure means or what boundaries mean. Um, I had to take away a lot of freedoms that I was allowing my dogs to have. Well, they, they had all freedoms. They, they had like, <laughs> they ran the house. My, my, my beagle Dewey was peeing on my cats. You know, they just sit there and take it, but he'd pee on my cats and he'd look at me while he was doing it. Like, what are you gonna do? Right. And I was all like, I don't know. <laughs> but then I started, okay, no more free roam. I'm going to take back control of my house. It didn't mean I didn't love them, 
but it meant that I needed to take control. I needed to be a leader to them, not a pushover and not something that they could just pee on and, you know, laugh at me about and yeah. get really serious. Um, and once I started doing that, I noticed a change almost immediately, you know, and they were happier. That was the beautiful part. Yeah. They were that's, so much happier. That's the most misunderstood part of this whole way of training that we call balance training. I don't even like that term anymore, oh, but no. like that, like the way, the way that we're, we're discussing training balance training, that's the most misunderstood part of it is that everyone thinks you're going to take away some sort of happiness from the dogs. Right. I understand where people are coming from with that because it's like you're restricting freedom. How are you going to say that a dog is happier, right? You're, you're telling a dog all the time what it could and can't do. Like, how is that going to create happiness? But what we're essentially doing is giving, taking a load off the dog's shoulders. Like you don't have to think about any of that anymore. I'll do it all for you. Right. And it completely changes the way the dog feels about life because they don't have to worry. It's why this whole way of training works so well for anxiety and for fear. Yes. because we take away the worry they don't have to be concerned anymore and they can finally just chill yeah and i often say that i want to take the weight of the world off of this dog's shoulders and set some clear like routine and and they don't have to constantly be frenzied in their head worried about what am i going to do next what am i, I don't even know what i'm going to do next i'm like and so i take that away and then you start to see a sense of calmness come right. over the dog and I do that immediately. The training starts the minute a dog walks in my gate. We're training. Yeah. And you know, I I, I get a, I, I get a lot of clients that have had a lot of um, a lot of time has been wasted, and the dogs get worse. So they've already gone a very long time, the clients and the dogs, without help. Why would I take a long time? you know, when I can start implementing it right away. Right. And what do you implement right away? Like what changes immediately when you take that leash? Okay. Uh, typically dogs want to jump up on me or they want to bark at me or they want to growl at me. All of that gets stopped immediately. Um, I get dogs in that have never been kenneled before, whether they couldn't be or they just weren't. And they're like, oh, hell no, I'm not going in that kennel. Yes, you are. And then you start to see that mind shift that we talked about earlier. They're like, oh, okay. You know, and then once you stop all the unwanted stuff immediately, then you can start to get to like the obedience training and the good stuff and the funds and get them out more where before they couldn't even go out anywhere. Right. I think the behavior and the mindset shift generally has to come first before anything else, because what, the way I used, and again, the way so many people think about it is if I teach my dog, sit down, stay, come and heal, my dog is trained. Right. And I've gotten a lot of dogs in that they went through, like, let's say purely positive training or the owners worked with them. So they know a lot of things that they should be doing, Yep. but it doesn't change the fact that they bark, they jump, they bite, they growl and all those bad behaviors. And that's why they're coming. And you can teach your dog a million and a half tricks and commands, but yeah. if you don't teach a state of mind, right. And Absolutely. a certain level of respect and, and 
a be way of behaving, not just things that you know how to do when you're told to do it, but a way of living in general, then you're never going to really enjoy life with your dog. It's not cool to have a dog that can give paw on bites. Right. Right. And, and that was my tally. Like I said, she knew 25 or 30 commands, but she would still bite and she would still growl and she was still an ass and dangerous. Yeah. So I didn't give a shit. Sorry. I didn't care if she knew sit, roll Let's strike over. One. Let's strike one. <laughs> Damn it. I'm uh, joking. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but I didn't care if she could play the piano blindfolded. Right. She's got to stop this crap. And then we can move on to other stuff. And that's where the world starts opening up for dogs. Instead of getting smaller, like some people may think. You know, right. Callie lives a very full, wonderful life. We had to work hard for it. Yes, yeah, the fact that she's not sitting in that shelter is, and like, yeah, great. You've implemented a ton of rules and re restricted her freedom, people want to say, but like, she's out of that kennel. She's out of that cage. She's living in a home with, with other dogs, with an owner, with a lot going on, and she has a life, right? Whereas she wouldn't have. And I think that's the part that, so many people miss is what's the other option right. right what is life actually let's be real about it what is life for your dog as much as you say you'll never give it up what is life going to look like for your dog if you don't restrict their freedom for a while if you don't have boundaries if you don't learn to say no and to have no that has a meaning to it right and you don't do all these quote-unquote mean things then what is life going to look like? To me, it's a lot meaner to have a dog that can never go for a walk and see nature and see the world and a dog that stays in a kennel most of its life and stays in the house when everyone goes out. Like that's not a life for a dog. Owners don't deserve it. Dogs don't deserve it. And it's, it's looking past that. People are very, have a hard time looking past the immediate mean stuff that us trainers do. Right. And the, the immediate, restrictions and all those things that we do and seeing what comes out of it like what's what's the reason behind it what are you actually gaining out of it that's the part that i try to encourage people to look at a lot is don't focus just on like the the shitty mean stuff that you see me doing or you see any trainer doing or that i tell you to do look at the results it brings right and think about what you want out of life with your dog and that's the way to get there so yeah it's not fun necessarily right but it's the fun that you gain from it that you should be focusing on. Right. And I always tell my clients, this stuff is for now. It may not be forever. Yes, you will be training in some capacity and it, it becomes a part of your lifestyle. But the, the, the loads of routine and structure and all of that stuff, you may not need down the road. But what you do now will help you have a better dog in the future. Right. You know, and my dogs, it's, it's a part of our life. You know, I don't necessarily make each one sit and wait before we go outside, but we're always training in some way. And, you know, it's just, it's life. It's just our day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. And the, the thing, let's say, like you mentioned sitting before going outside and small things like that. The reason why it doesn't matter as much for you, right, mm -hmm. is because there is this whole way of life that's implemented 
that those tiny things necessarily don't matter as much. And the reason why it matters for an owner is because generally the dogs that are coming to us for training, they need a full reboot. Their whole system needs to be reset and the owners need to learn to reset it too. Because just as much as the dog is used to doing things a certain way, the owner is. And if we break it down to very, very small things that every single thing has a way to do it, when to do it, how to do it, and make that a routine, that's when you'll be able to eventually tweak it to your lifestyle, like what you've done, right? And like the way we make it just a part of our lives. But if you don't first go kind of all in, all in, completely change everything, Mm -hmm. like even the tiny stuff, like waiting by the door, coming out of the crate, those small things that seem meaningless. If you don't change all those, you're going to have a lot harder time being able to tweak it to your lifestyle and loosen up down the line, which I think is the goal. When I send dogs home, I tell people like, I want you to make it a, like into your lifestyle. I don't want you living in your house the way I live in mine. You're not me. But just do the things that I tell you first Mm -hmm. so that you could get there because the way you've been doing it until now obviously is not working, right? And that's why the dog is with us. Right. Because it hasn't been working. And, you know, I never blame or shame an owner because they don't know exactly how to go about it, which is why I love board and trades because I can do all that heavy lifting And, you know, yeah, there are times when I'm working with a dog that I know if an owner was doing it, they wouldn't do it because it would make them too uncomfortable. You know, it's like taking a dog outside of their comfort zone. The minute a dog starts to push back, owners would be like, okay, no, I can't. The dog's uncomfortable, the dog's sad, the dog's whatever. And I'm like, I know enough to know this dog can do it and we're going to do it. And I call it push pull when to push forward, when to pull back a little bit. And especially with the extremely fearful dogs, you've got to know how far you can push at what time, then you need to pull back just a little bit more, you know, And, and in order to best help them through their fears, but you know, you get a dog that I don't know gets frightened and poops itself or um, squawks. That's a big one. Um, I don't know if you've had any screamers in. Not um, recently, but yeah. <laughs> no, and it isn't because they're in pain, but it's kind of become their default to scream. If I scream, everybody stops putting pressure on me. Right. And it's worked for them. And no, we don't want dogs to scream, but I have to work them through it to where they're like, wow. I don't need to scream. This wasn't so bad. But yeah. owners would see that and, and be like, no, we, we're, we're stopping. We're not going to ever do this again. And then they say they're stuck, you know? Yeah, so, the thing is understanding that, like you said, the dog's not in pain. Obviously, if the dog is limping and it's hurting its foot, we're not going to drag it down the street, right? <laughs> but a dog that's like screaming in like a, a temper tantrum or whatever you want to call it, it's like you said, it's what they know works, yes. right? Until yes. now, as soon as they let out that scream, everyone dropped what they were doing and said, all right, buddy's, buddy doesn't want to do this. We're going to leave him alone, right? Right. And the dogs need to learn, like, your way of coping, your way of trying to deal with things and being in control of the situation, it doesn't work anymore, right? And that's that's where the, the pushing through discomfort comes in, so that it's so important because dogs learn – how to train their owners really well when to shut up and leave them alone. Absolutely. 
and most owners fall for it right away because oh, yeah. no one wants to hurt their dog. Understand? It hurts, hurts right. the heart, right? Yeah. And like you said, I don't like it. I don't want a dog to scream, but dogs will also growl, bark, or you know, bark, um, lunge, because it works to get people to back off. And then the dog's like, hey, hey, I can make these guys go away. And then right. I don't have to do it. And you know, it's, you gotta work them through that and let them know that that kind of behavior isn't gonna fly anymore. They're gonna be fine, but they just can't do that anymore. Yeah, the, the whole thing is really teaching a dog how to cope, right? Oh, coping because, skills. Yeah, because they, they do what works. It's yes. very simple. And dogs are very simple. I mean, they're complex animals, but they're also very simple at the same yeah. time. It's like they do what works. Yeah. I mean, if they see that something's working, they're going to continue doing it because it's the easiest way. Yes. Dogs, like, I mean, I'll take the easiest route too if I could, right? Everyone would. Why not? Why so, not? Right. And that's what dogs, that's what dogs, the way they live. And that one time when they show their teeth, and the owner walks away from them and now the toy is theirs. It's so simple. They never like, that's what I'll do from now on. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people I think misunderstand about punishment is a big part of it really is, is just saying that's not going to fly because it doesn't work for you anymore. Right. Right. It's right. not like, it's not like I'm angry at the dog for showing me its teeth. I need to teach the dog that that's not going to work mm -hmm. so that I can now teach it a better way to work so that it could live with its owner and have a good life. It's, and, it's, and it's and, and what, like you said, and live right alive. I mean, I, I'm all about keeping dogs alive. And, you know, I, I had, I had a German shepherd and he came to me, man, he was all teeth and lunge and growl. And the minute he walked in the gate, he pulled that shit. And the owner said, we need to take him home. We, we can't, we can't leave him here with you. If he's going to do that. I said, He's going to be fine. And I punished him for it. And we moved on. And he comes step back now for boarding. And his tail's a wagon. And he's all happy to be here. And the flip side to that dog was he'd been kicked out of some vet clinics for the same behavior. Um, hey, Mr. Veterinarian, you come at me with that needle. I'm going to show you all of my pearly whites. And you're going to back off. Well, I have a wonderful vet here in my town and I took the dog over there and the first visit, it was, it was a shit show. I mean, this dog was lunging and growling, but he quickly realized I wasn't going to let him get away with it. And my vet wasn't going to let him get away with it. And then he started to settle. And then the next time we took him back, he was all like, oh, well, this is not such a big deal. Yeah. You know, but had I said to his owners, you can never take this dog to the vet ever. You can't ever take him out on walks. You can't ever do any of this, anything. What kind of a life is that for a dog or the right. people? And the people. That's that's the important part, too. And the people. It's it, the life. Life becomes miserable for the dogs and for the owners. Yes. And what, what's an interesting thing for that? I think really only trainers unless you have an owner who's really, really putting in the work hard, but trainers get to recognize this a lot is the certain level of like ease that you see the dog settle into once mm -hmm. they learn that that's not going to work. Right. And that they can rely on you for what's going to work. It's right. almost like their facial expression changes. Absolutely. I, I've said 
if I take a picture of a dog on day one when they come to me, as soon as I meet them and right before they go home, it looks like a different dog. Their yeah. facial expression changes because it affects them physically. It's it's like living in constant, a person who's living in constant stress and anxiety and they're always like, forehead's always wrinkled and they're always nervous and like crunched and all that. Yeah. And all of a sudden they go for some therapy and they learn how to work through their shit and they look like a new person. They right? do. And that's why I like to show the minute a dog comes in, I do that little intake video thing. And then I like to show the progress that they make throughout the training. And then at the very end, when they're ready to go home, much different than the, the original uh, intake. Right. Like completely. And I've heard, I've heard it over and over again from, from my clients. My dog's a completely different dog. And they are. Yeah. Mama. Uh, um, and, and I think that's, that's the part that the naysayers have to have to really open their eyes to see it, right? right. Because they're they're missing out on something that to me is a beautiful thing. It to is. me, it, it's the, like when you feel that energy shift from the dog, it's a beautiful thing to experience, to be a part of, to see it because you've changed the dog, right? right. When owners say their dog is a different dog, it's because they really are. They really are. You're, you're changing a dog's whole psyche for the better putting them at ease for their life, whatever the situation is really, even if it's, whether it's anxiety, aggression, or even really just simple, like learn not to be overly excited all the time, you're putting the dog at ease because living in that overexcited state is also not happy, right? It's not even the extreme cases. It's all of them that I see this with. Yes. And, you know, you see it in puppies too, puppies that come in and, and all they know is play and fun and nipping and, and everything. And then you start to kind of shape it for them and show them some structure and routine and you know do that kind of thing you really start to see them grow and start to mature into a really like gonna be a great dog yeah you know i have a dog in right now and i love her to pieces i mean i love them all i don't always like the behaviors they come in with but i do love them all um but she had what i call fu eyes <laughs> she'd look at me with those fu eyes and i knew it was coming she would try to jump up and gut punch you as hard as she could. And she's a pretty big dog. It's like a kangaroo punch. And she doesn't do it anymore. But now I see, she's only a week in, but I still see sometimes she'll give me those F you eyes, like thinking about it, but I know I can't. But she's already made the shift from frenzied and not listening and kangaroo punching to you see her really working through things and starting to figure it out and she's much softer now and she's fun and it's like you could like see the weight being taken off of her and i think that's the coolest thing yeah yeah definitely it's my like my favorite part of when i'm working with the dogs meaning I, I love working with owners. So that's probably my favorite part of like the whole process really. But my favorite part of when I'm working with dogs is seeing that shift. There's a moment with every single dog where they make that shift and it's like a switch goes off in their head. And that's when I know it's like, all right, it's working. We're getting there, right? And some dogs, it's the first day. Some dogs, it's a week and a half in and every dog, it's at a different stage. Right. When you see that switch go, it's like, all right, I know we're on the right track and yep. we're 
it's going to be for the most part smooth sailing from here. We'll have some bumps, but like the dog and I are now on the same page. That's exactly. the and that's that's for me. Like when I see that, I, I'm I always celebrate. I'm so excited about it. Oh, and it's like every little every little win like that, you should celebrate that. Yeah. You know, you don't have to throw the, the dog a party and and all that kind of stuff. But mentally, as a trainer, you should take a moment and kind of celebrate that and know that you are now headed in a much better direction than when you started. Yeah. And you're right. I have, and I know, I know every trainer says this, but I have some of the best clients ever. And because they already know when they hire me that they're going to have to do some work. Like I, I just, I say it, I repeat it, they know it and there's no way around it. And we, we have a really good, good decisions dog training family here. And I'm really proud of that. You know, I'm not just some kind of a money machine where I take their money, train their dog, hand it back. We're done. It's like, I really care. And I do like to keep in, in contact. And I love it when I post about a dog and my clients comment and then, you know, show what their dog is doing at home. And I've heard this, you maybe have heard this too. Um, when my videos play, I have clients tell me that their dog will go and put themselves on place. Yeah, I saw somebody comment that I think it was on your page recently. Yeah. Right? On one of your posts, I was like looking at some of your posts recently yeah. and I saw somebody comment that. And it's yeah, I've gotten that text from people who are like, Oh yeah, we're listening to you talk or or a video and my dog is like sitting or running to its place. I'm like, All right, mm -hmm. just play my voice the whole time and your dog, your dog will be fine. Just put our voice on repeat. Yeah. Just but that's all the time. As cool as that is for us, it also like owners should recognize how powerful that is because we have dogs. My program is generally three weeks for like serious behavioral cases. It's four weeks sometimes, but three weeks, four weeks out of a whole life, right? So dogs are coming to me usually as adults. Most yeah. dogs that I work with, I get some younger dogs now because everyone got dogs, but like most of the dogs that I work with are adults or about to be adults, whatever, in that older stage, right? So they know their owners for a while yes. and lived with their owners for a while. And we get these dogs for three, four, whatever, however long your program is. I don't even know how long your program is. Typically two weeks, okay. unless it's serious. And then it's three to five, depending. Right. So, yeah. So we have dogs anywhere from two to five weeks, which is literally nothing in the span of a dog's life. Yeah. But a month or two later, the dog hears our voice and is responding to it. And it doesn't show that we have magic. That's not the point that I'm getting at. It's not about how cool we are. Yeah. It's it's the fact of like but we are. We are, right. But it's not that's not what proves it. Um, but it's like if owners recognize the power in that and that they can do the same thing, right? Because you can get it even better. You should have it even better than us. You live with this dog 24-7 for its whole life. Absolutely. And if three weeks or two weeks with us and the dog still responds to it a month, two months, three months later, or when they come back for boarding, mm -hmm. what does that say for how you can build your relationship when you have it your whole life exactly. and how you can condition your dog when you have it for your whole life, right? Okay. Because as much as like people like to think that dog trainers have some sort of magic touch, like I know I don't, right? And, and I don't try to pretend like I, I have that. Like I hate when people say dog whisper and things like that because I don't want that. It's, I do things that work. And right. if owners understood how powerful that really is because three weeks is nothing and you can transfer that to your life forever, 
like yeah. your dog should be responding to your voice like that over the phone too immediately right. and that's an excellent point you know a lot of excellent points there is no magic um my stepdaughter actually got me a bag that says i am a dog trainer not a magician i love it you know um and i i like dog whisper i don't like that either what we do though is we do the things that work and i can speak for me and i think i can speak for you we don't half ass it right you know, we are all in like I am all in every day that I'm training with dogs and um, you know, I currently, and ever since I started, I do work seven days a week and I work 365 days a year. Yes. Some days are a little bit lighter than others like Christmas or something like that, but I am always working and I'm always all in like, I don't wake up one day and go, yeah, I just kind of want to nap all day and watch Netflix and I'll get to that training stuff tomorrow. You know, we were hired to do a job and we have to do it, but we, I tailor each dog's program differently to fit the needs of the dog and to fit the goals of the owner. Yeah. And that's what's important to me. And that's why I do the videos in the way that I do them. I do them for the owner. So that they can already get a jump start on what things are going to look like when their dog comes home. You know, I, I ask them to watch how I'm holding the leash. How do we do a down? If a dog breaks place, what do we do? Because inevitably a dog will go home and they'll break place. You know, they've never done place at home before, maybe, or they don't find their owners believable. And so they're like, yeah, screw that place command. I don't have to do it. And so I want to set them up for success by having them watch the videos through the course of the training. And yeah, sometimes we get silly and sometimes we, we have fun, but that's all part of it too. Like Saturday, my husband was so excited. He found a box, cardboard box that had Sasquatch on it. And I put it on my head and I was dancing around and Lily filmed me. And so I posted it. Who the hell cares? I was having fun. Yeah, no. but that's, that is training. Like to me, that is training for so many reasons. Dog owners are not going to train 24 seven, no. right? No. But what the dogs have to learn is how sure. to behave even when that's not going on, exactly. right? So uh, what I've started doing a lot recently in the past like six months is Saturdays are generally the dogs get walks and they do place time yep. and that's it. And to, and I struggled with doing that for a while until I spoke to a couple other trainers who were like, "You're if you train dogs every single day, all day active training, you're right. not actually setting them up for success at home where they're going to be left at home for eight hours a day. Right. They're going to be ignored a lot of times because dog owners just, I mean, I don't have time to talk to dogs all day. I don't really want to talk to them all day. I like to hang out with them. Right. And dogs, that's really what, like, that's the important part of the training. Because it's amazing if a dog can recall from 100 yards away and do all sorts of fun things to show on videos. But if they can't just chill when the owners have a family meal, right? Yeah. They can't be quiet in their crate when everyone wants to go to sleep. Like simple things that are day-to-day -day life, that's where the real struggles are, yep. you know? Like yeah. that's more important than anything. That's more important than the off-leash stuff that is great. And like, but if you can't go for a walk and be chill in the house, then 
the rest of the training is kind of worthless to me. Exactly. And that's a, and, and another excellent point. I gear my training towards real life. So I do a lot of place command with dogs while I'm in the kitchen cooking. Um, you know, maybe I'm dancing in the kennel room. And when I had the cardboard box on my head, that was when the dog was outside in the yard who would kangaroo punch every yeah. time somebody would move. And in the video, you just see her walking around and she's not kangaroo punching me. Um, so there's a method to all of my madness, um, but you're absolutely right. We can't be so stringent and strict every single day because that's not how real life is going to be when the dogs go home. And yes, I like dogs to walk in a heel, but I don't worry about a perfect anything, you know? Um, I want them in a heel, but if they're a quarter of an inch, you know, one way or another, unless they're a massive puller, then I want them a little right. bit behind me. But I don't get bunched up about perfection, you know? I want this to be real life where the owners can have the dog home, they can be outside grilling, and the dog is ignoring the grill, whether they're on place or they're just out in the yard hanging out. Yeah. And that's that's the part that really matters, right? It's life. It's what does life look like with your dog? Yeah. Not what does training look like with your dog? And even though when we say training, like I understood what you said, 24-7 training. I got that you didn't mean that you're practicing recalls 24-7. No, no. For, I want people to understand. I want owners to understand that crate time is not mean. It's oh. part of life and it's part of training, right? And place time, it's part of it's part of life and it's part of training. And guests coming over to the house, it's part of life. It's part of training. It's all, it's all part of training because it's all part of life. And we're not training dogs to do tricks. We're training dogs how to live, right? Because that's where that's where people struggle. They don't struggle with teaching paw, right? anyone can go on YouTube and learn how to teach paw. It's very simple. And don't even ask me guys go on YouTube and figure it out. But anyone can like teach tricks, right? Sure. Like we said in the beginning, like you're, you're a dog with 25 tricks and she still wanted to kill dogs. Like it doesn't change anything about how they live. Right. And, and you know, if that's something that, that owners want to take our training as a launching pad and get into other things, Go for it. Or, or whatever, go for it, you know, because now you've got a really solid foundation yeah. to build on and the sky's the limit for you if that's what you want, um, if that's what your dog is capable of doing. But, you know, I, I always take in what owners tell me, what they write down on their, their contract, um, the specifics of what they want me to work on for their dog, knowing we're going to do so much more. Um, rarely do I get someone in that says, yeah, I want you to work on car rides with my dog, but we go ahead and do that anyway. Um, because that is a part of life as well. Right. So I try to like cover, you know, all the stuff. And, and a lot of people don't even think about it. like, if you have a dog that's, let's say biting, right. And they're like, just stop him from biting, right? They're not even thinking about like, what's the potential? Like he can go for a calm car ride for four hours with you and be a part of your life with that. Most owners don't even think about that because it's it's the top priority is whatever's the worst thing is. Yes. But once that worst thing is stopped and that's out of the dog's mind, the potential is just endless then. Right. Then we can start building and building and building, you know? Um, 
Yeah. And, and I have had owners ask for some specific things. I had a little chihuahua that the owners flew a lot and they needed him to be able to ride in a doggy backpack um, safely. And you know, he wanted to bite us at times when Lily and I would put him in the backpack. And at the end of the training, he's all happy in that little backpack. Now he rides in a basket on the owner's bicycle. That's awesome. They have just like, bam, taken it to next level. Yeah. And, you know, I don't remember who it was. I read this quote from some trainer a long time ago. So whoever it is, I'm sorry, I'm not quoting you. Generally, I like to quote people if it's a good quote. Um, but the, they said that uh, all the fancy stuff is just the basics done really well. Right. right. And if you don't have that foundation that you're talking about, then there is nothing fancy. Like there, none of that's going to exist. Like you're not taking a dog dock diving if it can't be around other dogs. Right. right? You're not, you're not going in that basket. Like you said, if it can't simply sit in the knapsack nicely, all these things that it builds on, you got to have a solid foundation. The foundation starts at home. It starts with day-to-day -day life and what that looks like with you. Absolutely. You know, just this morning I've had a life, uh, not lifetime, but a long client, a long time client. Um, recently the dog has started to struggle with going to the vet. And so I bopped over this morning and met them at the vet and he wanted to put on the brakes and then he saw the vet and he kind of got growly and snappy. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. And so we got him up on the scale and then we got him up on the table and we got, you know, his vet work done, got his toenails trimmed, which he also has started to dislike. Um, we had to work him through that stuff, but I explained to the owner and I have an awesome vet, by, by the way, you know, if we had just let him, um, you know, balk at it and say, okay, we're not ever going to the vet again. You know, what, what good is that? Like, right. so I took the foundational training that I knew he knew incorporated that into his vet visit also corrected him for some really snotty shitty behavior today. And you know, in a matter of a few minutes, easy peasy, he's out of the vet office we're done. Right. And that's part of my follow through training. If I can do it for people, because once people sign on with me, I don't send them home from a boarded train and say, okay, we're done. I never want to see you again. You know, I'm with them for the life of the dog as support and as a launching pad for questions and, you know, help. And so it was a really cool thing to see the dog today kind of work through that, but I was there to help. And we got it done. Yeah. And my number one piece of advice that I find myself giving to my clients whose dogs are back home and they start to struggle with something, right, is go back to basics. Yes. Right? Because the basics is what's going to get you through this. Like, there's another similar story to what you just said, but I had a dog who I know her since she's 14 weeks old, 12 mm -hmm. weeks old, actually. Um, and she did my puppy program. And then when she was older, she came back for the full three-week program. And she's an awesome dog with awesome owners. And one day she decides she's not going up steps anymore. Like, she just not. I right? love that. And, yeah. and it wasn't like to do She was hurt. There was no fear. It was just, I'm not doing this. It was very much just, I don't want to, and I'm not doing it. And that's that. Right? right? And I told her owners, like, and and obviously her own for everyone who's like, do you use food? Yes, her owners tried to use food and they tried to use treats and they tried to coax her. 
she wasn't going up. She was. She knew she was going to get food in the kitchen either way. So it was not happening. And so I said, go back to basics. Put a leash on your dog. Use the pressure and release that your dog understands of leash pressure and start to get it. And I went over and I worked them through it a little bit. But all I did was go back to the very first like few things that I had taught that dog, which was pressure and release and marker words. Marley yeah. And marker words and going right back to that basic stuff. And within 10 minutes, she was going up and down the steps with, we added a command to when she was doing it. And that's the importance of, I think, really a solid foundation, whether yeah. you're working with a trainer or on your own, is making sure that the dog understands whatever language you're using to train, which like I was using pressure and release in this situation, right? Making sure the dog truly understands what it is. Because right. when they really, really understand it well, it becomes a language that sticks that could be used to communicate anything you want. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's interesting because dogs do get like that sometimes once they go home and then they're like, ah, I don't want to do it. Right. And then I think one of the biggest things that owners get away from too quickly is leash, is the leash. Because everybody's focused on off-leash freedom, you know, which is great. It's fantastic if your dog has a hundred percent recall, but don't forget about the leash. Yeah. One of the most underrated training oh, tools, man, it's the best. And I have owners that are like, well, I have to put eardrops in my dog and they run away from me. They won't run away from you if you have them on a leash. Yeah. So don't be afraid to, to pick that leash back up and keep utilizing it. You know, I'm not as a crutch or, you know, like whatever, but, it's so valuable in so many situations that I think people's minds are so focused on off-leash everything. Put that leash back on that dog. Yeah. You'll, you'll be pleased with what you see. And you'll have a better off-leash experience too. Exactly. That's, that's what so many people don't get. You don't get off-leash without a leash. It doesn't it, happen. It, no, it really doesn't, you know. Um, I'm all about off-leash if a dog, like I said, has 100% recall. But most people that I train with and for and myself, there are leash laws. Right. So my main focus is getting dogs to be able to walk in a nice heel, not be reactive to other dogs, not be aggressive on leash, not explode at the sight of a squirrel. Um, that's the big part of my training program, you know. Yeah. All of my personal dogs are off leash trained, um, off the physical leash trained, but with e collars on right. as my safety backup. You know, if I need it, I need it. Like a seatbelt, uh, I hate wearing seatbelts, but I do, hoping I don't need it. But it's there if I do need it. Yes, well said. <laughs> that's that's really what it is. I mean, and for for owners specifically, and and trainers who want to use e-collars use it like i use e-collars on my dogs too well two of my dogs but like the the thing that that makes no sense is people running away from a tool right and like you said you don't like wearing a seatbelt, but you also probably don't like getting into a car accident and not having it on no. right and no one looks to need their seatbelt. no one looks to drive next to a drunk driver but the reality is we drive next to drunk drivers and we're on the road and there's other assholes on the road and yeah. it's your responsibility to keep yourself as safe as possible from those things. Right. Absolutely. And that's really all that, 
a tool, the e-collar specifically is supposed to be once the dog is fully trained on it is it's there for that what ifs the just in case the real world stuff that comes up right. and when it comes to owners using it it's like you're not a trainer right you should, you should use whatever you need like Absolutely. anything it, like again if your dog is unleashed the rest of its life and your life is good good okay right? like who cares exactly and it's all about what what's going to work for you what's going to make you happy what's going to make your relationship with your dog work and right. not what like people's standards because that's the part that's just going to fuck with your head and mess you up totally and and dog owners should have the right to use whatever tools they want to or don't want to right you know? if you want to train a dog with a violin i could give a shit less if it works make a video i just want to see right i want i want to see that video yeah. But I don't give a shit. Like, whatever works best for you and your dog, have at it. Um, but if you're struggling in any way, I just want people to know that you have choices, you have options. And yeah. I always tell everybody, like, I don't, I don't know if you belong to any dog training pages or any pages. I try like, to stay out of them. Blah. It's <laughs> like, man, your head, like, my head just goes. But I always put on their research. If you're, if people are looking for a trainer, research them, right, and and see what's out there. Because I have had a lot of clients tell me they hired me because of my videos, and because I'm I'm real. Like I'm real. Like I'm not like all made up with makeup. And you know, I don't know. One day I might have poop in my hair. I don't know. But like it's it's real life stuff. Right. And that's the only way I know how to be. But I've had a lot of clients say. We hired you because you're you're real and you do show results. And I hear this more often than not. We've noticed in your videos, you never raise your voice. You don't get angry. And I don't. Um, what it, it doesn't do any good to get angry or frustrated or yell at a dog or anything like that. I'm just like, no, that's not how we're going to do it. You know? Yeah. So um, there are options out there for people. And I would like there to continue to be options out there for people and for people to choose whatever is best for them and their dogs. You know, it doesn't matter. Like I said, if you can train your dog with a violin, cool. Yeah. You know? yeah my content and i i i'm sure you feel the same way my content is not for the people who don't want it right yeah. like if i'm giving advice and you're like well i didn't need to do that with my dog i'm extremely happy for you okay good yeah and if you if it's advice that works for you i'm happy i put it out and yep. that that's really it it's like i don't like you said i don't care i'm not a i'm not chasing people down the street and be like why aren't you having your prime collar on your dog like I don't give a shit if you love that your dog pulls because I've had people tell me I like when my dog pulls good. Like I'm happy for you. I just, like you said, I want struggling owners to know that it's not a, a hopeless situation. Right. There's hope. There is help. You can change everything in your life. Your life can be completely different with your dog than you ever imagined. And right. I want to give a little glimpse of that, at least to owners to get it. And yeah. that people should see that. And if your life is as perfect as you want it to be with your dog, because it shits on your bed and you love that, I don't care. I'm happy for you. That's it. Like, I don't care. That's great. You know, yeah. and you're right. I just, you know, I just want people to know. And like I said, my videos are specifically for the clients. If somebody else gets some takeaway from them, wonderful. 
Yeah, people uh, definitely do because you know, what you shoot the clients is helpful for anyone who's struggling. Right. And sometimes, like, if I'm doing a cooking video, people are like, screw the training. What was the recipe? Yeah, what's the recipe? <laughs> you post some good food. <laughs> so, we're foodies here, man. And uh, that shows. It shows on me. It doesn't show on Jeff. Um, <laughs> son of a bitch. But, but you know, you show like all this smoked smoked meat and stuff, and I'm like, oh, that looks good. But that's actually a part of the training too, because you know, all the time I hear, well, we're grilling outside, and our dog stole the hamburgers off the hot grill. I had a client; the dog got up on the 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 dining room table at Thanksgiving and took the turkey and ran and ate the whole thing, bones and all, on Thanksgiving Day. That was but, my dog. Oh my God, your dog did that too? Well, he didn't do it with turkey, but my mom made like for, for one of the Jewish holidays, she made like a, a huge stuffed salmon. And when Marley was bad, he jumped up on the table as soon as it came out of, out of the oven. And I guess he was being unsupervised because he didn't need supervision. He was a good free dog. Um, and he jumped up and devoured that thing. Holy crap. So, yeah, like, that was my dog. Like, I, all of these stories that people say, I'm like, yeah, my dog did that. He did all of that. Holy crap on a cracker, man. I've, I've never had a dog jump up on the table and do it, but I've, I've had dogs do, you're like, what the hell stuff, yeah. you know? Um, but I hear a lot of interesting things from my clients and things that could kill their dogs. You know, sometimes people don't take that seriously enough. Not your clients, not my clients, but you'll you'll hear people, oh, my dog ate 10 socks. And it was actually kind of funny because, it, no, it's right. never funny. And that's something, you, man, you can stop that immediately. Yeah, and it should be stopped immediately. Like, it's life and death. It is life and death. There's no reason to let it happen even one more time, ever. No. And, um, you know, it, there's a lot that goes into that, you know, start restricting their freedom. Obviously, they can't handle free roam of the house. I saw just the other day on Facebook, somebody's dog, not, I'm not around here, but somebody's dog ate an electrical cord and died. Damn. Okay. Probably dogs should have been in a crate. You right. Know? Um, I don't know the whole situation, so I'm not judging it. But, um, you know, a lot of people out there dislike crates or caging their dogs, I'm all for it if it keeps the dog alive. Yeah, as much as people are like, it's like, throw all the training reasons out because I can do an hour show just talking about how good for a dog's mind a crate is. But all that out the window, if your dog is in a crate and you don't put anything in that crate, there is nothing there that can kill it. Nice. And it's that simple. And no matter how good your dog is, it's a dog. Yes. Why risk it? To me, that itself is enough of a reason to just kennel up your dog when, when you're not supervising it or when you're too busy to watch it. It's such a simple thing, and it can literally be the difference between your dog living another 10 years or two more hours, and that's it. It's so simple. Exactly. And you're right. You know, there's all kinds of gruesome you know stories out there that have happened to dogs, but, you know, if it's a difference between living and dying, I'm going to create my dog. Yeah. Every time. Simple thing. Yeah. And it's not mean. It's like, when did it become in people's minds that creating your dog was mean or abusive? Well, when did it become that, that boundaries is mean, that accountability is mean, that punishment is mean? Like everything is mean now. Anything that's not, here's a cookie is mean. Exactly. You're right. Right. You know, 
I was raised by a balanced mom and dad, if, if, if that's the word we're going to use. And I think you and I need to come up with a different word for balanced training. I don't training. know. Let's just call it dog training like dog because training. that's what it does. Like, like dog <laughs> I, think, I think when you're missing the balance, it's not actually dog training. So let's just call it dog training. Right. But there were consequences for shooting right. behavior when I was growing up. And believe it or not, and I know it's really hard to believe, I was a boundary pusher. And um, yeah, and I had a lot of consequences until I finally realized that it sucked. If I screwed up enough, my consequences were serious. It wasn't like I got my cell phone taken away or, you know, because we didn't have cell phones back then. Um, but, you know, my like I was stripped of all privileges except for school and eating, you know, like that's how I was, I was raised and I'm thankful for that every single day. But you know, if I I called it practical training and I like that a lot. Yeah. But like, if I didn't fuck up and I didn't, you know, break every rule, um, I got to do some really fun stuff. And not only was my mom, my mom, but she was also my teacher at school. And so there was no escape. Yeah, you couldn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like thinking that must have sucked. You can't even you can't even go to school and be a shithead. It's like you're stuck with all oh, of them. It's I, not like I, I'm gonna call your mom. It's not like the teacher's threatening to call your mom. It's like, no, there's no one to call. You're stuck. Right. And and I was still kind of a shithead, but my mom was a very strong, hardworking, no bullshit lady and her name was Betty and, and her nickname was Black Betty. She was also very firm. She was very fair. And when, you know, she and I would talk about dog training, it was so similar to the way she taught. And she would go to the ends of the earth for her students that really tried. If you didn't try and you just wanted to piss away her time, no, she's not going to help. Right. But um, my word of advice is, if your mom is a teacher at your school, don't skip school. <laughs> it's not like she's not going to find out. <laughs> Somehow they always find out. Yeah. Have you read Your Kids Are Your Own Fault? Yes, and I love it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not finished with it all the way through, but because I take a while to read books because I always put them down in the middle. Um, but that's that's a great book. Like that's a dog training book as it's much great. as it is parenting. I don't have kids, but like that's a dog. I read it because that's a dog training book. Mm -hmm. And I always I always tell when I have my call before clients officially sign up with me, like I have a consultation call with them. And when it comes to discussing accountability, which is really what you're talking about, I I always use real life examples that are so obvious to everyone. Yes. Like like I, I got a speeding ticket, right? And I like going fast. It's fun to have the windows open to blast music. My hair is in the wind and it's a lot of fun, yeah. right? And I got pulled over. And as soon as I got pulled over, I gave the cop my, my license and registration. I was like, all right, give me the ticket. Like I knew what I did wrong. I was going really fast. Yep. And after that though, I'm more careful. I've driven a lot since then and I'm much more careful. Right. Now, if you gave me a $5 ticket, I guarantee you I would speed all right. day because five dollars to me once a day is worth yeah. it to go as fast as i want right yeah. yep. and that's how we're all safe on the road that's yep. why 
we can all drive safely on the road because when I drive like an asshole, I get in trouble for it. And when someone else does, hopefully they get in trouble. And what that does is it ensures that we could all get to our destination safely, right? And with that, it makes so much sense to most people. It's such an obvious thing. When it comes to dogs, people struggle with understanding it. But if you think about it, it's literally the exact same thing. Want to go for a walk on the street with your dog. You want someone else to be able to walk with their dog on the street too. Now it's your job and it's her, that person's job to both hold your dogs accountable to some basic like manners rules so that you can walk past each other safely and enjoy life. It's that simple. That's really all it is. That's what accountability is. And the fact that it's become some mean thing right. is what's very strange to me because everyone understands why I got that speeding ticket. Because if yeah. someone else saw me driving, they'd be cursing me. I'd be like, you're driving like an asshole, right? Right. right. So, so I was. And everyone gets that and yep. it's normal and and i deserve to be punished for that right and the punishment worked because now i drive slower yeah. and when it comes to our dogs all of a sudden that becomes mean and i think that's the part of i guess emotions that ruins our dogs so much oh 100 and i think anything that has anything to do with animals in general like the emotions are just out of control and we've wussified our dogs and we've wussified our kids and it shows. But the moment you mention punishment or correction or accountability, oh no, you know, it's like a horrible, horrible thing, but it's not. I mean, it's really not. I live by rules every single day. Yep. And if I choose to break them, I know that there are consequences and being a human being, you can think them through, you know, um, but you have to have some accountability with dogs and you have to have rules and you have to have corrections and it makes for better dogs. I mean, it just does. And more there's no system that anybody can name that works that doesn't have accountability included in it. There's no, none. Like, no. You, you can try it. There's none. At some point, you're going to find a way that there is somebody being held accountable to keep to that system in order for that system to actually work properly. 100%. You know? And it's not a bad thing. Right. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful right? thing. Because systems, systems of the world, of society, allow us to exist together. Right? Yep. It's a beautiful thing. Without those, we don't exist together. We don't enjoy life. Right. And that's ultimately what I think most owners' goal is with their dogs. I just want to enjoy life. So you got to right. have a system. You got to have rules. You got to have have accountability. Yeah, and I've had I've had uh, clients literally cry, just, just cry because they've been frustrated and stressed out for so long. And I actually like I don't just I'm not on the phone with them going uh huh uh huh yeah I can tell you what to do. I actually listen and hear what they're saying because I have been in those shoes. I've had the asshole dogs and I didn't have anywhere to turn and I figured it out myself. But my job now is to help other people first and foremost, know that there is hope, right? There's work to be done, but there's hope. Um, because a lot of times people have been told that there is no hope for their dog anymore. Yeah. You no, there's no hope for your dog. And I, you know, I, I don't buy that. There are some dogs that are 
yes, one percenters genetically, whatever challenged or, or whatever. But the majority of dogs, like I've never said to an owner, you're, there's no hope for you, for you or your dog. You know, I've had to have real conversations and um, change things, you know, get people to change things. But um, to just flat out say that, yeah, nope, your dog's a lost cause. There's no hope. It's an easy way out. Easy way out. Yeah. But I'll, I'll take your money. You know, right. It's an easy way out. I don't my, my golden retriever was diagnosed as having neurological issues by a trainer that couldn't admit she couldn't help him. Not when I owned him, um, because I when I got him, I was already training dogs. Mm -hmm. But like, and he's a freaking golden retriever. Like, he's smart as hell. He was just a nutcase because he was a golden retriever without rules. So he did whatever he wanted. But the easy way out was to say he's not trainable. Right. As opposed to saying, I'm not capable of training him with the way that I train dogs, exactly. which I would respect that, right? If a trainer whose way of training, whatever that is, doesn't allow them to work with certain types of dogs and they just say that, yep. I have a lot of respect for that person. The problem is they blame it on the dog. Yeah, it's, it's honest. Yeah. I am not able to help you with my style of training. Um, that's honest. But to just go ahead and say, you know, there's no hope, your dog needs to die, whatever, that's that's shitty, man. Yeah. You know, at least recommend another option, like second opinions. I encourage people to always get second opinion, whether it's dog training or medical or a lawyer or whatever, and, and you're uncomfortable with the first assessment or opinion, get another one, yeah. you know? I mean, I, I've sent dogs to other trainers. So I was like, I don't want to work with this dog for whatever reason it was. Mm -hmm. And, but here's a trainer who could help you, right? Here's Not someone who I think is more capable than me to help you with your dog because it is very extreme or because whatever the reason is in those situations, right? Right. And that's like, that's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Rather than either taking the case and not actually being able to do it or acting like, it's an ego thing. If somebody's right. ego is too big to say, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. I don't know. Right. right. To me, that's like the most honest thing you could say is I don't know. I want to hear someone say, I don't know. It's important. Right. What, what 100%. And when did it become uh, not okay to say, I don't know, or I can't help you, or this is not, you know, my skill set, or I don't work with aggressive dogs, whatever it may be. That's honesty. And, and, you know, put your ego aside, people, and do what's going to be best helpful for the owners and the dog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my question that I'd love to ask everyone, I don't know if you know it already. If you watch this, you might know it, so then you're kind of prepared, but hopefully not. So if there was one thing that you wish every owner knew that you can tell them, what would it be? That they have options. That they don't if 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 something isn't working they have choices and that they should not feel bad guilty or any of those things about making the best choices and decisions that best help them and their dogs yeah it's you're not stuck with what you're told is the only option no no and don't let anybody bully you you know what do do what's best for you and your dogs and don't look back yeah 
so I've worked with so many people who until just recently I had a couple of these who until they found out that I existed or that we're back to calling a balance training existed mm -hmm. that they thought the only option was purely positive and the only option was basically to keep living a miserable life with their dog right or yep. to put the dog down that was the only two options and if people just knew like you said if people just knew that there are options you don't have to take those options but they exist right it would so many people's lives would be better so many dogs would be alive like there, there's just no question about it and and i think that some people may not know that they have options but some people know they have options but they feel guilty or ashamed or bullied into not pursuing them because you know it's all over Facebook, it's all over every page or whatever. Purely positive training only, or, or your dog will suffer irreparable damage for the rest of time. That's bullshit, man. And people have got to start calling bullshit bullshit. Yeah, and it the the worst part about it is that it leads owners to suffer and struggle, humans struggling, and dogs to dying. And it's such a simple thing, like. To me, it makes absolutely no sense why, if there's another option that you should ever say death. Right. I get it. And people throw that one around so easily as professionals that like that's an okay option to just throw out. Every four dogs that you work with should be killed. Like yeah. that's an issue. That's a serious issue. Yes. And it's okay if you don't want to do those options as a trainer. I have no issue with that, but don't make other people believe owners believe that those options are bad because you're killing dogs and you're forcing owners to suffer because no one like i can't imagine what it would be like for an owner who puts their dog down and then finds out they didn't have to oh my god could you i couldn't even imagine yeah i i, I like, like it would, it would, it's you're you're creating such emotional damage to a person by doing that i can't imagine like and, and i have had clients say I wish I would have known about you 10 years ago or 20 years ago or, or whatever it may be because they wouldn't have suffered and they wouldn't have put their dog down because they didn't know. Um, death before discomfort is such a horrible reality. Um, and I have always, and I decided when I started my business that I was going to be not like I wasn't just going to follow blindly every other trainer and not speak out about it because that's kind of been my jam. Like I'm going to tell the truth and maybe people want to hear it. Maybe they don't, I don't care, but I'm going to tell the truth. And that is that people have options and you shouldn't feel guilty and it's not evil and it's not mean. It's none of those things. I mean, I don't know, I guess, emotionally some people need to believe that but if it results in the death of a dog that didn't need to be that's a hard pill to swallow for me yeah. and as much as you get hate for being real about it because i know you get your fair share of that the the way that i look at it is hate is worth it if one owner actually found out they don't have to kill their dog 100 if one owner found out that they don't have to suffer anymore. And to me, like, it's worth it. Like, call me a dog abuser, say all the stupid shit that you say, 
send me the messages. I'll take it because one owner is not struggling anymore. One dog is still alive. And to me, that's worth it. 100%. And when I get to feel like I'm, I'm just beat to shit and, and just like raked over every coal, um, I focus on the dogs that I have helped and the future dogs that I will help. Yeah. And the dogs that aren't dead. Yep. And I have, I have lists of messages that I look at in those times or cards that I open up a drawer and take out a card from a client, right? How I changed their life. And it's like, all right, like Sally pants 21 on Instagram, like who said I'm a dog abuser. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, this is real. I have it in paper, right? You keep you keep with your comments and all of that. I'll keep with this and I'm good. It doesn't, it doesn't exactly. out against each other at all. Right. You know, because it, it the way I look at it too and I think that's valuable because you know, like I'll get a I'll, I'll have like a down day like somebody's like you're the biggest piece of shit. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything about dogs and then I'm like, you know, and over time and and the constant pounding at you yeah wear on you and then i'll get a message from a client we have the best day ever and i was able to walk my dog past four dogs no reaction at all and i'm like okay that's why i do this yep you know but it's only thing that gets you through it It, it's it is emotionally tolling to deal with all that shit it's supposed to be it's why it's why people do it they want they want you to stop yep and and i think what people that has pissed a lot of people off is that I just keep showing up every day, every day, every day. Oh, there's Julie again. She won't quit. No, I'm not going to quit. But there was a particular time when my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. And like, I was so emotionally just like hurt. And it was a really hard time. And that was when some real serious hate was coming my way. And I, I seriously thought about quitting. Because, you know, why, why, why would I keep doing this to myself? Um, but, I, you know, and I told my dad at the time, I said, you know, dad, I'm going to quit. And I'm going to move in with you. And I'm going to take care of you. And he looked at me and he said, no, you're not. He said, you've worked way too hard, way too long. You're not quitting now. And so I didn't quit. Um, and I'm not a quitter. But I'll tell you, that was a particularly rough patch for me. Right. Um, and it's just like people just kept pounding on me and pounding on me, you know. And I'm like, I'm just trying to help dogs. But I had, I had a trainer that I admire so so much that I reached out to and really talked me off the ledge. And I think that's why I get so upset when I see some trainers kind of bashing on each other or or whatever they're doing when we really should be coming together. Yeah. And supporting there's no shortage of dogs guys and i train perhaps differently than you do perhaps differently than whoever but as long as you're helping dogs and their their owners who gives a shit? yes this like, has been in my mind a lot recently this one yeah no me too especially in the climate that we're in now everything's so uncertain and everything is terrifying um why are we focusing on on like hating on each other? Um, that I don't understand. Yeah, and the thing is, if all these, so many trainers say we're in it for the dogs, and if you're sincerely in it for the dogs, 
then shut the fuck up and be in it for the dogs. But if you're in it for something else, it shows when you start to hate on another trainer. Oh, yes. Now it's some, there's ego playing because if it's bothering you what that other owner is, what other trainer is even doing, the fact that you even know about it and the right. fact that it even has a place in your mind says more about your ego than the amount you actually care about dogs. So go check yourself because you don't really give a shit about dogs then. You exactly. just care about ego and you feel threatened. 100%. And that's what I see. Like, And I don't care if you've been in it for 100 years training dogs or you just started yesterday. If your way of whatever it is that you do is to hate on other trainers, to me, it says a lot about you as a person. Oh, like, yeah. Get yourself in check. And even yeah. if you disagree with that person, it doesn't it, – it, still doesn't change anything and yeah. at the end of the day if we're all in it for the dogs there should be a united front it yeah. should be a dog training community yeah. not not everyone hating on each other and when i see all that it's like it makes me start to question like what really are you in it for right and what, what is this really about for you because for me i don't give a shit what other trainers do i mean obviously like I, obviously, this is the extreme because, like, if somebody's killing a dog, all right, they shouldn't be oh. training dogs, right? But, like, I don't care what trainers are doing. I care how my clients are doing. I care how their dogs are doing. I yeah. care how my followers are doing. Like, the people who reach out to me for help, I care how you're doing, how your dogs are doing. When people send me messages on Instagram and, like, they show me their success and I never met them, that's what I care about. Oh. I don't care, like, what some trainer the next street over or the next state over or the next country over is doing like who cares i'm right. in it for the dogs i'm in it for the owners not yep. for other trainers and to me it's it's you're gonna you're gonna sink the whole ship by hating on each other that's probably the best way to put it if it continues the whole the whole shebang is going down and i mm. think that's why it's so important for us to speak out and not bash other trainers because I'm like you. I don't give a shit. If, if you're truly helping dogs and people, do whatever you're going to do. I don't have time to worry about you. Um, but if everybody keeps pulling each other down and beating the snot out of each other, the whole ship's going down. Yep. And I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. I, I, I celebrate anybody who's having success. Shouldn't that be what we all want for each other? Cheering, you know? Yeah. I like everybody else because I don't. Right. And you don't have to. That's the beauty of like this world. It's like you don't have to like each other. Like we all ask dogs don't like each other, just coexist. Like right. take a little bit of your own medicine and learn to coexist and leave each other alone. It's so sad. You know? And I think like the thing is that the balanced training community, since that's what we're calling it, yeah. can put aside, if, if every trainer who likes to argue with each other just stopped for a little bit yeah. and actually united just for a little bit, then you can all go back to your arguments in like a year or two, right? right? And argue about it and scream and yell at each other. But there's like much more at stake the way I look at it, that yeah. it's not worth the arguments right now about what's the best way to create the art of dog training like you can all go back to being dog training artists afterwards right. right now like that's actually make sure dog training is going to exist in five years yes yes 100 percent. and you know like you said we don't have to like everybody i mean we're not going to but 
shut your pie holes, man. Um, stop trying to police everybody. Who like who 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 made you in charge? Um, I don't care how long somebody's been doing it, but I think the most important thing is is when some people think that they know everything, there's nothing new to be learned, um, then they your their ego kind of takes over. Like yeah. I, I know it all. Like every dog that comes in here, I learn something from. Yes. And, I try to once a year attend a seminar or a program or something to continue my education, network with other trainers, but it hasn't happened recently. You know, I've been super busy, but then now travel is like wonky. Yeah. Um, but when you stop learning and you think you know everything, you need to get out. Yeah, I, I've always say when I think I know everything about dog training, I'm going to quit and go learn something else. Right. Then I'm going to go be an auto mechanic. Well, no, I won't do that because I'll fuck every car up. <laughs> but, but like that's that's to me, that's a big beauty of dog training is you're never going to know it all. Like you said, every dog, every single dog that I work with makes me think, makes me yeah. do something slightly different than I did before, makes me learn something new and that's the beauty of working with animals is that they're not cars, right? They're right. not like a simple put the screw in and it's fixed. And like, I'm sure there's more to fixing cars, but to me, that's what it looks like. Right. And like, there's so, there's so much more to it because it's a living, breathing, thinking, feeling being that yeah. we have to be able to somehow fit into that and help it and change it. Yes. And to me, that's, that's, that's what I love about it, that it's always changing, that it's always something different. I would get bored if every dog was the same and I knew it all, I'd be done. Like it's boring. And I, I'm not that type of person that can do that. I need something new. Yep. And, and I always, I joke with my clients when they send or they call or whatever. And they're like, I'm like, you know, we get into, is there any aggression? Has your dog ever bitten anybody? And they're like, no. And then I meet the dog and it's like a super sweet, you know, cupcakey kind. And I'm yeah. like, wow, that's a breath of fresh air. But then a week later, I'll get in one that's growly and snarky and all this. And I'm like, okay, switching gears now with this dog because I go about it differently with each dog. It may look like it's all the same. She's doing the place command again, you know, all it, but it's not. I don't film 24 7. And so I show a 30 second video or a four minute video and people read into it what they want without even knowing what we have done the six days leading up to it or the four minutes leading up to it, you know? Um, but I, I just love the diversity, not yeah. only in the dogs, but in the clients. Cause to I me, find it very interesting. That's what I love about board and train so much though. Like if I have three board and trains in at a time, which is generally my average number, right? I can have a six month old, golden doodle who's just like needs to learn some manners and how to chill yep. and then put that one away and take the dog out from the cage right next to it that wants to eat me right <laughs> i gotta switch gears right i gotta to me that's that's like one of my favorite parts of doing boarding trains and having the dogs with me it's like from second to second i gotta be able to change to have control over myself to to approach it differently while at the same time having the same rules for every dog in the house and they've both worked together that like different for every dog and same rules for every dog right. it works together right and right. it's a very cool beautiful thing to be a part of to do that yeah and it definitely 
is that ever learning experience, right? Like if I forget that this is not the easy go lucky golden doodle, like my finger is going to be missing. It's that simple, right? You can't forget. No, you can't. And you know, I, I encourage, like, I think recently you took some time just yeah. to spend you and your dogs. And man, I cannot encourage people to do that enough. The last time I left here was two years ago and I went on a training, you know, thing. So it wasn't even like a vacation, right? but it kind of was because like flying freaks me out terrible. I am the worst flyer on the planet. And my dad built his own airplanes and flew them. So you would think I wouldn't, be, but I'm petrified to fly. Um, so it's, it, it takes me way outside of my comfort zone, which is what I love about it. But I haven't left Ashland in like, I don't know, a really long time. Um, and my husband said the other day that I need to take a vacation. And I'm like, right. Okay. It was important for me. I had, my summer was crazy. Thank God, like not complaining, but I was crazy busy. Didn't have a second to breathe at all. I live 15 minutes from the beach. I think my feet touched the sand once the whole summer. Oh, wow. And and I was I planned it into my schedule because I was, I was looking at my calendar before the summer really started. And I was like, this is going to be nuts. And I planned it in that September starts, I'm taking off. And I took the whole, almost the whole month of September off, really. And just like... I traveled with my with two of my dogs, the boys. They're the travelers. I traveled with them for a little bit. Just went on the road, visited some friends in Jersey. Just ba- just the point of being able to breathe, right? right? And it was the best move I made because like burnout is real, you it know. Is. Yeah, and I'm proud of you. Um, it's important to do it. Um, I come from a family of workaholics. My mom worked all the time. Um, but that's what, what breathed the life into her. And I think I'm kind of the same way, but I do, I do know that I need to take a step back at some point, but it just isn't going to happen for a while. But I yeah. do send Jeff away. Like I send Jeff away a couple times a year just so he can keep his sanity. <laughs> Cause it's like, you gotta go. Get out. You break. <laughs> go. Um, but that's the other thing too. If you're going to do this for a living, like, like we are, you got to have people in your life that support you. Um, Cause like my mom, she supported it on a little level, but it wasn't a real job, but my dad supported me a ton and they're both gone now. But Jeff has supported me since day one. And yeah. you know, that's why I kick him out like twice a year so he can like regroup himself. But you, you got to have that in your life. You have to have people around you that understand you can't just leave for two days or, leave on a Saturday night and go party it up with your friends when you've got three boarding trains in and two of them have terrible separation anxiety that might break out of their kennels or hurt themselves, you know? Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I wouldn't do anything else. All right. Let's, let's wrap it up. It's been over an hour and a half. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, it's it's good. I was enjoying it. Um, so let's wrap it up. Everyone who's watching, thank you for watching wherever you watched. If you're listening, because I know some people listen, um, I'm curious where you're listening to it. So if y'all are listening to this, not live, but on the re- let me know where you listen to it because this goes on a bunch of different platforms and I don't even know exactly how that works and where this thing goes to. So, so I'd be curious about that. So if you're listening to this on one of like the audio sites, shoot me a DM on 
one of my social media platforms and let me know where you listen. Um, thank you all for tuning in though. Thank you, Julie. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I had a great time talking with you. We can go on forever. Um, and you want to let everyone know where they can find you, follow you, social media, all that stuff? Yes. Uh, and first of all, thank you. It's It's been a blast. Um, but uh, Julie Starnes, Good Decisions Dog Training. Julie at GoodDecisionsDogTraining.com. www.GoodDecisionsDogTraining.com. You know, just all over Facebook and stuff. I'm not so good at the Instagram, but I try. You try. That's all that matters, right? You got it, though. All right, guys. So Good Decisions Dog Training on everything. Um, and GoodDecisionsDogTraining.com. Go follow Julie. She's awesome. Thank you. All right, guys. Love you all. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Julie. This was a lot of fun. Thank Hope you, you have an awesome night. Love you all and stay kind. Yes.